0: Namotasa Bagavato, Arahato, Sama, Sambutasa Namotasa Bagavato, Arahato, Sama, Sambutasa Namotasa <coughs> Bagavato, Arahato, Sama, Sambutasa I just want to speak about the seven factors of enlightenment a little bit tonight, and, uh, and starting by I you know, saying that the seven factors of enlightenment are, you know, mental conditions conducive not only to realization but to any kind of a worldly skill. Also, we want to learn. You know, we have to bring mindfulness to it. We have to really stay with what we want to learn about we have to put energy in we have to collect the mind and we have to bring you know all seven factors of enlightenment are necessary even you know if you're learning to drive a car or learning an instrument if you're not putting really your heart into it you won't be able to learn any skill and uh, meditation is, is not an exception it's just in many ways also the same process of learning a skill and uh, I just want to start with with a quote from the Anguttara Nikaya <coughs> one of the four big books in the Bali canon and you know, this quote brings it home how important those factors of enlightenment are <coughs> whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four foundations of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of enlightenment. And I'm quite sure you have all heard about the five hindrances, because we all experience them a lot of the time. And then the four foundations of mindfulness, which is the basic template of the Buddha's teaching about, you know, how the mind works and how to meditate basically, foundation of body, feeling tone, state of mind and phenomena. And you know, and if we manage, you know, to train our mind in those four foundations of mindfulness, then the hindrances will at least temporarily, you know, be uh, be not present. And then, when the hindrances are not present, then the seven factors of enlightenment are present. And I want to speak about that that process tonight. so you know the first point is <clears throat> to understand you know the key of what we really have to do in the meditation is and what the meditation is is uh, why we are doing it is is to untangle like a web of assumptions you know which, which gives us that feeling and, and very strong kind of experience of that there is Somebody there, you know uh, what would we call an ego, and then if we are really, you know, working with those four foundations of mindfulness, there is an increasing kind of letting go and an increasing deeper and deeper understanding that there is no nobody there, but it's it's a <clears throat> it's processes, you know, in nature and. Through kind of applying ourselves in the way the Buddha has been teaching us, this becomes increasingly clearer. And, and one way you know how we can summarize that increasing clarity is that the seven factors of enlightenment becomes become stronger and stronger. because you know we all are born you know with those seven factors of enlightenment in seed form in our minds. And then through the practice we we start to strengthen them in a the way, you know, like you would go to a gym and strengthen your muscles. If we are applying the meditation teachings of the Buddha, we are basically strengthening those seven factors of enlightenment until they, you know, they are <clears throat> completely perfected, which then you know is another way of of saying, you know, of speaking about full enlightenment when those Seven factors of enlightenment are completely perfected, and all of us you know we are somewhere on that trajectory, training ourselves in that way and uh you know, and through that training slowly but surely, you know it alters the sense how we experience ourselves, you know we become aware you know that we are not like unchanging entities, but that this is a process is going on. And we can observe this process on all four different foundations of mindfulness. You know, the first one, the body. You can, you know, look at the, the body is not a unchanging thing. And the Buddha has has given us many different, you know, ways how we can look at the body and then, you know, look under the surface of what meets, you know, our eyes. There's different contemplation. You know, contemplating. Uh, Body parts, contemplating the breath coming in and out of the body, contemplating uh, the decay of the body, contemplating the body according to the elements. There's many different ways, you know, or contemplating contemplation of death as well, Which and all of those different ways of looking at the body, what it brings home most of all is impermanence. And then the next foundation is feeling tone. There are three feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And what we see is also impermanence because they are constantly changing. And the next one is uh, looking at the mind states, the mood of the mind, the taste of the mind, the flavor of the mind in the moment. And it's also constantly changing. So, looking at those first three foundations of mindfulness, we what we mostly see first, and what is the easiest to discern, is is impermanence. And then the fourth foundation of mindfulness is you know, probing deeper into that process, and then you know, seeing the conditionality of suffering, you know how suffering is actually not inherent in Existence, but suffering is something which is produced through ignorance by you know, trying to hold on to something which is impermanent or trying to push away you know something which is just part of nature and if we are not using those tools which the Buddha has has given us, then those seven factors of enlightenment get increasingly more powerful and through that you know we have more and more capacity to see the way things truly are because it's a way like sensitizing the mind so that it can see clearly you know, whereas if we are not training our minds then we are constantly caught up or a lot of the time at least caught up in one of the five hindrances and through being caught up in the five hindrances the mind doesn't, isn't able to see clearly but the mind is like caught up in in projections, you know, which are superimposed on reality. And then if the mind isn't strong enough, it is not able, you know, to look through, to look underneath. And then it's caught in what we call ignorance, or we can also call it, you know, greed, hatred and delusion. And the five hindrances, I'm just going to mention them shortly, but I'm quite sure you've all heard one is, uh, first one is desire, sensual desire then aversion or ill will sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry and uh, doubt you know and, and none of those five hindrances are inherently bad or inherently negative but they hinder the mind from functioning properly and they keep us, you know, keep us stuck in suffering Because the way how we relate to life, the way how we relate to our own bodies and minds, and to the bodies and minds of others, are not informed by truth. They are informed by past conditioning. And because of that, you know, a lot of dukkha or a lot of suffering is, is created. Because we are relating in a way which is not informed by reality. And so we're making, you know, Often making wrong choices in terms of what we are saying, what we are doing, what we are thinking, and uh, you know, by practicing with the four foundations of mindfulness, we are basically systematically disentangling this tangle of assumptions. You know, and this is a is a very slow process, but it's it's something which can be done. And it isn't based, you know, on believing anything what the Buddha has said or what we are saying, but it's more like, you know, um, you know, being willing to use a set of tools which the Buddha has left for us. And we are speaking about a particular set of tools in this retreat, which is, you know, the seven factors of enlightenment. And and these seven factors of enlightenment, they are not, you know, s- telling us. The way things are, but they're giving us tools so that we can find out for ourselves through our own experience and that's the way you know, that's why they are transformative because we can experience it within our own bodies and minds the way things truly are. and then when you have seen something for yourself, you, you know it. And then even you know ignorance is not permanently removed because we are not yet fully enlightened. But still, you know, if you have seen a glimpse of truth, you will not forget that. You know, we call it an insight. It's the same, you know. There's a, a imagining a, a dark room, you know, which has been dark for a million years. If you are, you know, lighting a candle, then you can see, no matter how long it has been dark, you know. And then, even the candle goes out again, you have seen what's there. You won't forget it. And this is you know how how the practice works to use those tools and and uh, you know use them in a creative way in a way which fits for you and for your predicaments, for your karmic predicaments. But there's a certain kind of um, template to it, and it's it's really not complicated. It's actually you know, very simple, very straightforward, but we have a tendency to complicate everything because of ignorance, and this is where we have a a template, we can always come back to that again and again, and step out, you know, of the stories and of the past conditioning which we are, you know, so uh, attached to, because it's just a very strong, we have all develop very strong habits, you know, over this life and over previous lifetimes. And you know, we just need to know that. So we need to know the situation and then, you know, it becomes more and more clear, you know, why we need like a framework in order to approach the tangle. Because you can't just like kind of Start pulling at it because then it gets more tight, you know. There has to be like a way how we can hold it and allow it to unravel by, you know, by approaching it in the right way. And uh, you know, and what becomes increasingly clear is the grasping, you know, which we are experiencing, you know, the the dukkha, the contraction, the kind of the wanting is not something which is done by a self which resides in the head or somewhere, you know, but it's actually the opposite, it's the other way round. It's the grasping which produces that experience of self. And once that is is, is understood you know to a certain degree, there's more freedom there. and then you know we just keep on going because it's it's a long path but if we are starting it and not stopping it we're gonna come to the end at one point you know and it doesn't really matter when that is but what matters is you know that we are using those tools now with what we're experiencing right now because that's the only thing we can really do you know everything else is, is uh, theory, and this is what is so important about the the practice and about the tool kit, you know, which the Buddha has given us, is that we are that we are um, applying it in the present moment, no matter you know what's happening, and therefore you know the five hindrances are considered like a launching pad for developing the seven factors of enlightenment. For example, you know, you have a strong I'd have a strong emotion, like a strong desire of you know, for example, wanting to get out of here, you know, and wanting to go back to my room, for example, then I can just become aware of that, "Oh, you know, I'd like to run away because I don't want to give a talk, but then I'm not going to do that, you know, because I know I'm here to teach a retreat, so then I just feel feel that desire. And then, and be with it, you know. In the body, it might feel like a kind of contraction. And then, on a feeling, feeling tone level, it might feel, it will feel unpleasant. And then, in terms of of a uh, flavor of the mind, there is a desire there. And that the body might even you know, kind of lean towards, you know, go, like wanting to go to the door. But then, okay, then I, I just be with all of that. And what I can see, that would be done the fourth foundation of mindfulness, is that it's if I can hold with that, hold steady with it, maybe after a minute or so, you know, it's, it's already gone. I didn't have to do anything because, you know, it's impermanent. And, you know, in order to, to kind of have that... Uh, experience, you know, we need to hone the seven factors of enlightenment, because if there wouldn't be any mindfulness, I wouldn't be aware of all of those things which I've just been describing, you know, but I would just like immediately want to get rid of the unpleasant feeling, and I'm just going to get up and go out of here. (laughs) But if we have mindfulness, you know, then we can be aware, okay, this is is going on right now, and then the next factor of enlightenment, investigation of Dhammas, is like, there's the wisdom factor, a curiosity, you know, what is happening here? You know, not in terms of story, but in terms of unwholesome and wholesome, you know, knowing it wouldn't be the right thing for me to just now get up and go back to my room, because You know, I have made a commitment to teach this retreat and I'm here with the sisters and Laura is here, she wouldn't be very happy if I would just run away now and then she wouldn't and all of those things so that it wouldn't be a wholesome thing for me to just disappear now so okay then I'm going to stay and then you know what I do kind of stay with my experience long enough, I need some energy you know, because otherwise the mind just Goes for the easiest thing, so there's energy. that's the third foundation, the third uh, uh, factor of enlightenment, and then you know, energy arises, and because of that, you know, there's capacity to stay with the experience, and then a certain amount of, you know, through staying with the experience, a certain amount of sometimes you know it's it's called pity in the Pali word which is it's called rapture which is maybe a bit of a strong word you know but for example if you can hold steady with your experience there's a sense of contentment comes up you know of being really in the present moment not constantly leaning into the future or leaning into the past just being really here a sense of contentment and stability of it just really being where you are and then tranquility comes from that you know if the the joy or the contentment which comes up by being in the present moment suits the whole system you know the body and the mind and then tranquility is the next of the seven factors of enlightenment which arises <coughs> and And then, you know, if the body is at ease and the mind is stable or the mind is, like, settled, then the next factor arises, which is, in Pali, it's called samadhi. And uh, we can also, you know, um, translate it as the mind is really collected. The mind is... uh, is... um, Collected in the sense of, you know, if you're wanting to make a fire, you go out and you collect a few pieces of wood. So, you know, all of the pieces of the mind are just like on one heap. And this is a sense of stability. And then, (coughs) you know, that feeling of stability and being really grounded and fully here, the next factor arises, which is um upeka or equanimity or equipoise. And then, you know, if there is equanimity, then our capacity, you know, for mindfulness increases. And then you know, it continues again. So it's like a it's a sequence, you know, which which kind of goes deeper and deeper into reality, we can say, you know. <coughs> And then, if there's equanimity, there's more mindfulness. If there's more mindfulness, there's more capacity for investigating what's really happening. And then, again, you know, energy increases, then there is more contentment or joy, and then more tranquility, more collectedness of mind. Equanimity increases, and it's like an increasingly strong strengthening of those seven awakening factors towards perfection and it all starts you know with just being aware of the hindrances really so the hindrances are not something negative you know but they are where we are starting and we use those hindrances you know for as a a fuel for the awakening factors or as you sometimes also compare to like a compost, you know, which you you won't throw that away because you need it for the garden. You need the weeds that have a function. Because they can be used for through the transformation process, they can be used as nourishment. Because if you wouldn't be lost in the hindrances and we wouldn't experience that that dukkha, you know, which that produces We wouldn't have any motivation actually for developing the factors of enlightenment, and uh, it's like a fine tuning of the mind. You know, starting with the hindrances, starting with the dis like when you tune or I don't know if one is doing that still today, but in the olden times, you know, tuning a radio. First, you start with the dissonance. You know, you know, there's something, there's some energy there, even if it's not. Balanced in the right way, and then you start tuning it, you know, and until there is some <coughs> harmonious something coming out of the radio, and that would be, you know, an increasingly harmonizing of of the mind, which is one way how we can uh, speak about the seven factors of enlightenment, and you know, it's a of it's, and it has been, you know, in the scriptures spoken also that. Those seven factors of enlightenment have a, a power to heal the mind, and this chant, which we have been doing today, also speaks about you know that those seven factors of enlightenment were also used to um, heal people on a physical level, and there's a few suttas where where it's spoken about that uh, even the Buddha himself you know has been ill once and was has recovered after those seven factors of enlightenment were um, recited to him, and also his disciples Moggallana and Kasaba. And then sometimes it's also uh, the seven factors of enlightenment are also compared to seven treasures, like seven treasures of a wheel-turning monarch which is like a mythical figure you know in the in the buddhist um, cosmology and and in our case you know we can understand it rather as you know some becoming a ruler over one the one's own world the world of one's own mind through developing those factors of enlightenment because if we are not you know understanding how the mind works we will be Constantly lost in the uh, five hindrances which you know are like stories about the way things are and the seven factors of enlightenment you know when those stories are not active the seven factors of enlightenment are present and then we are with the direct experience of what is happening right now and by being in that direct experience we are learning about the way things are and what we are seeing is those uh, three characteristics you know which are the liberating the three liberating Dhamma doors we can say you know, seeing impermanence, seeing unsatisfactoriness and seeing not self of all phenomena, you know, which we can experience all share these three characteristics. And you do know, and this is what we uh this is what the four factors the, the you know the um, meditation in the four foundations of mindfulness, this is what we increasingly becomes clear you know though when you are looking at your experience in those four foundations of mindfulness this is what becomes clear those three characteristics and this is what is you know freeing us from being lost in the tangle because if we are looking at experience in that way we are you know weaning ourselves off from Being so dependent on all of those stories about experience but we are having you know a greater and increasing capacity to to see those three characteristics in whatever is happening in our lives and and then you know when we have cultivated a certain capacity, you know, of uh, being in the present moment and when something happens, you know, we are immediately the mind remembers, oh, whatever it is, you know, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, oh, it's impermanent. And that gives an immediate sense of of freedom, you know, and, and a sense of, you know, I don't have to fight with this experience because it's impermanent. And it's not like just an intellectual knowing, but it's it's a, a real deep faith in it, which doesn't come from believing it because the Buddha said it or we have said it, but it's 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 comes from a very deep knowing. And you know, and this and this is why those seven factors of enlightenment are called seven treasures, because they you know, to hone this capacity to live in the world and at the same time not being of the world because there's this deep understanding of those three characteristics which is liberating you know and 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 as I said in the beginning, you know, that the seven factors of enlightenment, if we are practicing with them, we are increasing our capacity to be affected by reality, which means, you know, to, for example, you know, receive a beautiful gift and really enjoy it and at the same time knowing it's going to break. And that doesn't take anything away, you know, of the beauty and of the joy and of the of the pleasure of having this thing. But at the same time we also know we don't know how long it's going to last. And and through the practice, you know, we, we are increasingly able, you know, to live in this way, you know, that we can enjoy what we have, what we can endure you know what we have depending if it's pleasant or unpleasant because at the same time we know it's impermanent, it's unsatisfactory it's, it's out of our control, it's empty of a self <clears throat> and then I want to speak a little bit more maybe about the the sequence so the ma- mindfulness is, is the foundation of the sequence it's the first of the seven factors and and then if we you know, if we stay with the experience then um, it's this uh, the next one is called investigation of tamas so or we can also call it curiosity you know to really take an interest in our experience not turning away and not getting involved too deeply, but really just, you know, standing back and observing it with an open mind. Because, you know, usually our mind either, if it's something we want, the mind closes in the way of wanting it, or if it's something we don't want, with something which experiences unpleasant, the mind pushes against it. And you know, if there's enough mindfulness and interest and curiosity, we have the capacity to just, you know, keep an open mind, literally keep an open mind, not going into judging about it. And that, you know, requires a capacity to stay with the feeling tone as it is, because it's usually you know, that we wanna escape an unpleasant feeling tone and we want to hold on to a pleasant one. Or we are just confused, or you know, or, or not really in connection if it's if it's neutral. So this openness in the feeling that's really very important, you know, to, to develop resilience to be with feeling as is, knowing it's going to change anyway. We don't have to do anything about it. And then you know if we have a a capacity to do that, then a sense of contentment or joy arises naturally, because it gives a sense of you know not having to constantly control our lives. it gives a sense of feeling you know a sense of strength really. And And a sense of uh capacity, you know we don't have to constantly be on the outlook to see how we can manipulate our lives. We can just receive what is happening because it's going to change anyway. and then you know, from that kind of sense of uh strength then we can take the appropriate action but we don't need to react but we can respond and and that gives a sense of uh, contentment and and then through the contentment you know that's kind of oiling the wheels is smoothing the whole system and then the system kind of becomes tranquil it's like another you know, surface of the lake which has like all of those ripples and we can't really see clearly, it starts to kind of become quiet and it and the mind collects and it can really see what is happening. And then from that clear seeing, equanimity arises because if we see clearly impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and emptiness are not self, then a sense of equanimity arises because we see very clearly how things work we see very clearly you know, how nature operates and we can't manipulate nature but we can know how it works and we can live accordingly and that gives a sense of, uh, you know, of having arrived really in our lives and not having to constantly try to rearrange, you know, the deck chairs on the Titanic, because you know the real <coughs> essence of the practice is to realize those three characteristics. So there's no need, you know, to fight with them. And uh, it's a very natural unfolding, and <coughs> you know, and as soon as the contentment or joy changes into tranquility this is like from from there on you know we don't have to actually actively do anything that's like a a natural unfolding you know the tranquility naturally becomes a collected and stable mind and that naturally leads to equanimity you know when we are establishing mindfulness and then investigation of dhammas and um, energy that's kind of you know, going up the hill, so to say and then joy arises, this is like on the top of the hill and then tranquility, samadhi and equanimity is just like kind of sliding down the hill on the other side, we don't have to actively do anything anymore and um, According you know, to the Buddha, the supports for developing those seven factors of enlightenment. The internal support is wise, attention, and the, external, and the external support is um, spiritual friends. So that's the two main you know, ingredients in order to develop those seven factors of enlightenment. And uh, <clears throat> I've brought a poem also from, maybe I've heard of the Terikata, which is an a anthology of poems from the first uh, enlightened nuns who have lived, you know, the, the bhikkhunis who have lived at the time of the Buddha. And there have been several translations made you know, from those poems. And I'm going to read from a translation which has just been um, made over the last year by a friend of ours. And it's rather an adapt- adaptation of of those poems. And, and I really find them very, very beautiful. And the book will come out next year. And I'm just going to share with you one of the poems by by Bhikkhuni her name is Chenta which means conqueror and this poem speaks about the seven factors of enlightenment I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me walk this path you will need seven friends For many years these friends and I have traveled together sometimes wandering in circles sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. What if you don't make it? Oh my heart you don't have to go it alone. Because you have those seven factors of enlightenment. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. So I'll just read it one more time. I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me to walk this path you will need seven friends. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together, sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. What if you don't make it? Oh my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. You know, and this train yourself a little more gently is basically, you know, open to the feeling tone of the experience. And don't think, you know, that there's anything wrong if it's unpleasant and don't think it's right because it's pleasant because we have somehow this inbuilt kind of connection you know we think if something is unpleasant it's because we did something wrong or there's something wrong and if something is pleasant we think we need to have more of it because that's the right way to go and sometimes it can be but it's not like an automatic equation you know, we can rely on but it's something to really make some space around it and and let it reveal itself (coughs) so I think that's what I wanted to share tonight and uh, So there's those two supports wise attention is the internal support and spiritual friends or wise friends is the external support and you know the friends are here we can see each other and you just need to do the wise attention bit (coughs) it's actually only one thing you know you, you need to do it's not rocket science really but it can be unpleasant sometimes, and it can be boring, and sometimes it is pleasant, you know. And to just be <coughs> making space for this feeling time that's really the crux of the practice, you know. That's where where we stumble. And my first teacher, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, you know, he always said the whole world is running after pleasant feeling and, and running away from unpleasant feeling, and that's really what's happening, you know. So that's something to consider for the rest of the time you are awake today, and you know, using everything as as a opportunity for practice. You know, after when we have been, you know, leaving the hall, if you're getting up and going outside, putting on your shoes, just. You know using every moment as an opportunity to see you know those three characteristics operating and a way enough you know, of, of tuning those seven factors of enlightenment towards perfection and you know and being able to make space for the feeling tone is is really where we can hone in, you know. Because that's where we when we lose mindfulness. And you know, we are all born in the human realm and the human realm is all about feeling. And and how to and how to handle that. <clears throat> and it's not easy, you know, this is why we have such a huge amount of teachings, there's so many different spiritual teachings because it's not easy, you know, to go mostly we, we go very quickly unconscious. And you know on a retreat like this we we might, might be able to see how that happens, you know. And then Maybe we can keep conscious, and you know, us just a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And that's, you know, all we can do. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.